0: Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth.
1: The goal to help you lead like never before. In your church or in your business. And now your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey everybody, and welcome to episode 285 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff. I hope our time together today has helped you lead. Like never before. Well, uh, I got to tell you, we got a lot of like self-starters who listen to this podcast. We hear from you every single week. Thank you so much. And by the way, if you ever have anything you want to talk to us about, shoot me a note at kerry at Myself and my team take a look at everything, including all the ratings and reviews. And you guys kind of fuel the podcast. You really do. And we're so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for you. And got a lot of stuff to share with you. So hang on. But my guest today is Christy Wright. She works with the Ramsey Group. She's a speaker, an entrepreneur, a best-selling author, and she really helps people get started with their business. So if you've ever had an idea or you're trying to get something off the ground or you're trying to turn something around, you're going to love today's episode. I think you're absolutely going to love it. And I just want to say thank you for you guys in the podcast. You know, we are approaching... The 5 year anniversary of this thing, can you believe it? So a couple of big milestones. We were at 9 million downloads, which is nuts, insane. And then September 10th, we're marking 5 years of the podcast. We got a very special giveaway for those of you. In fact, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stack your library. We hear from you all the time. You're like, I buy all these books and like my budget's gone. So we're going to choose a bunch of winners celebrate 9 million listens you'll win 5 books of your choice okay so we're just going to send them to you you choose any guest will just get you the book so there you go details are on my social media so make sure you check out my Instagram Facebook and Twitter And uh, all those links are in the show notes, by the way. Also, The Art of Better Preaching. Yeah, that's a course that Mark Clark and I launched a year ago. Something special going on there. You can go check it out. The Art of Better Preaching is available at current pricing for just a few more days. And so if you haven't gotten in on that, you don't want to miss it. So you got a lot on your mind as a senior leader. And one of the questions is how much can you actually juggle? And Tim Schmidt is a church planter, a senior pastor, and he outsourced his media needs to Pro media Fire recently. And I talked to him about it. I said, hey, Tim, you got a lot to think about as a senior leader. How has engaging an outside media company affected your peace of mind? This is what he had to say.
0: Well, I was constantly frustrated because I was following up on either people who did not have the organizational skills to follow through or just were too busy doing other things. And so I'd have something that was really important to get done and it wasn't getting done. And so now it's fire off, uh, you know, a request, a rough draft of a request. To Pro Media Fire, and within a couple of days, I get back a finished product. It's I don't have to follow up on these people, so it's taken a huge burden off of me. And I, I think we would be there if we were a church of a couple thousand. We'd probably have you know graphic designers and and videographers, and we'd have all these people on staff, and we could just you know place our order with them because they work for us. But when you're a, a new church, you don't have that kind of staff. You need a partner that you can rely on that's going to take uh, your order just as seriously as if they work for you.
1: Hey, if you want help with custom graphic design and video, check out ProMediaFire. Listeners of this podcast get 10% off their plans for life at ProMediaFire.com forward slash carry. That's ProMediaFire.com forward slash carry. Take a load off your mind. And something else that I, I love hearing success stories. So. Do you know that listeners of this podcast, this podcast only have already saved over a half million dollars on their healthcare costs, $625,000, and that's through checking out Remodel Health. You ever looked at a health insurance company to look at your faith organization, you have no idea what you're reading? Uh, Health benefits are confusing. They tend to give you coverage you don't really need and they lack coverage in areas you do need. What if you had an expert who came alongside you, not just to help you understand your benefits, but also get you some cost savings on healthcare. That is a major, major cost as an employer. Remodel Health does exactly that. As the benefits platform that cares for your team, their innovative technology and their team of insurance, tax, and ministry experts will come alongside you and help you discover a benefit solution that meets the unique needs of your staff. So You can actually move from group insurance to individual plans for each employee. And again, so far, they've saved $7.2 million to churches that they can just reinvest. And listeners of this podcast are about 10% of that $625,000 you have already saved. So if you're not in on the savings, what are you waiting for? Uh, check it out if you're an executive pastor, senior pastor, and you are in charge of staff. Go to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry c a r e y. You get a free demo of their software, free quote for your organization. You know, maybe we can get up to a million dollars in savings from this podcast. So remodelhealth.com forward slash carry. And uh, guys, I want to thank you so much for your partnership, man. I am pumped for this interview. Here is my conversation with uh, an entrepreneur in her own right, a busy mom, and also an incredible leader, Christy Wright. Christy, welcome to the podcast. I'm thrilled to have you.
2: Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited about this. I'm a big fan, so I was looking forward to it.
1: Well, what a thrill to find that out. And we have so many mutual friends, don't we?
2: We do. I love that world. It's very closely knit.
1: Yeah. So your mission is to help women start and grow businesses, which is fascinating. How on earth do you get passionate about that? I mean, there's lots of things you can do with your life. So how did that become really your story and your mission?
2: You know, it's so interesting because I help women do something similar every day. I'm helping them figure out their passion and their direction and their calling and, and all of that type of thing. And there's a lot of things that they could do. There's a lot of things I could do. Um, but for me, it really came down to looking at my story and identifying patterns. And so, for example, I had a mom that started a little cake shop when I was six months old to raise and support me. And so I was raised literally in the business at times. We'd go there at two, three, four in the morning. I was a teenager running deliveries and errands and running the cash register. And oh, so this she, is what your mom did? Yeah, she, she ran a business. That's how she raised me and uh, made a living for us. And so I had this front row seat to watching this woman build a business. And raise me and make it work. And so that obviously was very uh, instrumental in my growth and development. But then I went on to college and pursued a degree in business. I started my own side business when I was 23 to help pay my rent at this farm we yeah. moved to. And then I became a certified business coach. And then I really started to see this trend in the marketplace of you've got more access To starting a business now than ever before. The risk is low. The cost is low. It's so easy. You could start a business tomorrow with nothing more than your idea and a Facebook page. So you're seeing millions and millions and millions of Americans starting side gigs and side hustles and starting their own thing, freelancers, independent workers. There's about 44 million Americans that are working as freelancers right now. You have these people coming into the market. It's fun. It's creative. It's easy. It's exciting. But then it gets overwhelming. Well, How do I sell without being pushy? And how do I set myself apart from the competition? And how do I price? And how do I pay myself? And, you know, how do I, what about taxes and trademarks? And so I thought, well, I can help people, you know, like I can, I can help people with the business side of things so they can do more of what they love and less of what they don't and really simplify that for them. And, And I think a lot of people have this myth, especially when they get into business and it gets hard. They think, oh, I'm not cut out. You know, that fear creeps up, Mm. the imposter syndrome. I can't do it. I don't have a business mind. I don't have a business background. Who are you to do this? That's that voice in our head. And I thought, you just need what anybody needs. You need a little help. You're doing something new. And so that's really, uh, for me, is seeing the patterns in my story combined with the need in the marketplace. I thought, you know what? This is something where I can add value.
1: What did you do when you were 23? What was your side hustle?
2: So. I had always had this dream from the time that I was growing up to live on a farm. I had an aunt that lived on a farm. I had never lived on a farm. I was a suburban city girl. And, but I just saw her life. She had animals and this big companion dog and a big white SUV. And she was just so awesome. And I was like, I want that life. But in my mind, moving to a farm with animals and horses, I would always loved horses, was something I would do when I was like in my 50s or 60s when I could afford it. Yeah. And, you know, that seemed more practical. And um, I really feel like God brought me to this farm when I was 23 years old. It was 40 acres. It was for rent, which was weird to not be for sale because I could have never bought it. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was three times the rent that I was paying at the time. But I thought I can start a side business boarding horses. There was an 11-stall barn on the property, and I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a problem solver, so I'm like, oh, I can make this work. So I moved to the farm with the plan to start a side gig boarding horses to help pay my rent, and that's exactly what I did. No way. Yeah.
1: And so you moved to a farm when you were 23 years old and figured out how to finance that.
2: Uh, yeah. I just, I just, yeah. the rent was about 1500 a month. I could afford like 500 because I was working, by the way, full-time in a nonprofit, like in full-time right. and nonprofit is like 80 yeah, hours Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so they gave you $12 a month whether you needed it. Right. In,
2: I was yeah. making, I did the math that I was making less per hour than the lifeguards that I managed that were 16 years old. So <laughs> I was working nonstop at the Y. So I couldn't afford the rent, but I thought if I just get a few horses here to board, that will offset the cost and I can make a rent. And so that's what I did. And then I got animals of my own. I got my own horse, um, a beautiful Tennessee walking horse. And then I got um, a couple of fainting goats off Craigslist, which, by the way, Carrie, if you've never Googled fainting goats, like, please do that because they're hysterical. Fainting goats? Yes. They served no practical purpose on this farm they're purely for my entertainment because when they get startled, they pass out, and it's hysterical. <laughs>
1: like just, That's the best. <laughs> I just,
2: just Google it. That. I think I'm.
1: I, I, I will Google that. Hey, all right, hundred bucks Wait, for two
2: uh, fainting goats. I'll William tell you Halen, what, Holly Bath, put worth. that
1: in the show notes. Like fainting goats, we need some YouTube videos or something. That'd be great.
2: <laughs> it's amazing. And then I got uh, oh. any donkey had some barn cats and just did the whole farm life for a couple years. So, did the risk
1: scare you? I mean, that thousand dollar a month gap is pretty big put whatever, because it's, it's, it's two X, you're three X, you know, what you can put into it. Did that, are you, are you afraid of risk? How do you, how do you manage that? Particularly as a young person?
2: Oh, it's interesting. I think different people are wired differently. Yeah, they are. My husband, for example, is very conservative. He's very cautious. He doesn't like risk. He likes the safe route. I'm very entrepreneurial. I'm an Enneagram eight. I'm like, I'm going to make it happen. I don't know how. (laughs) But I'm going to make it, I'm going to kind of figure it out as you go, kind of girl. And so what's so interesting is I see a lot of entrepreneurs that are wired, very entrepreneurial. They're problem solvers. They're like, I don't have the perfect path of how this is going to work out. I just know that I'm going to make it work out. And sometimes that drive can be very motivating because you have to. Now, I work with a lot of women, not a lot, but I work with some women that their income from their side business is supplemental income. And so it's not needed. So they don't make very much. Because
1: they're like, oh, so it's like, what, like an artificial cap?
2: Yeah, it's just like, it's, it's, they're not as motivated because they don't have to have it. If you've got to have it, like when my mom had $64 to her name and started a cake shop, she had to make it work.
0: She didn't have an option not
2: to. That survival mentality um, can be very motivating. It also can scare people and be paralyzing if, if, if you're very scared of fear and risk and that kind of thing. But also for certain types of people, it can be almost like this adrenaline of like, we better figure it out because I got to make rent.
1: (laughs) It's interesting because I'm entrepreneurial too. I'm an Enneagram 8. Is that a typical profile for an entrepreneur? Like, do you find certain numbers coming up? And I promise not to make this the Enneagram podcast, but uh, I am fascinated by it, really. And Ian Morgan Cron's been on, Annie, our mutual friend's been on. Yes. uh, She just did Annie a summer, which is fascinating. I know.
2: She said I was scared of the eight. So I was like, we're not scary, as I yelled at
1: her. <laughs> you yelled at her. You yelled. Like, we're not scary.
2: I know. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the trends are. I would yeah. imagine. Um, I know more research about men and women. So, for example, research shows that little girls tend to be more fearful than little boys. It's fascinating. Little girls mm. break sooner when riding their bicycles than little boys do. Little boys really? are more um, risk takers, which any moms of boys can go. Men.
1: Uh, I raised two boys. Yeah. They broke bikes in themselves. Yes. Yep.
2: And they, they, it's research says they're slower to learn from calamities. I'm like, well, that is true. <laughs> and they always, this is fascinating, they always tend to attribute the mistake. They, they're slower to learn from mistakes. They always attribute to them, the mistake to something outside themselves. not oh, yes. them. Right? Okay. Women, little girls, internalize their mistakes. They never want to make, make the same mistake twice. They're more um, risk averse. Well, you think of the implications of this as grown men and women where um, you see this in the entrepreneurial space. You certainly have women that are, you know, go-getters and fighters and risk-takers. But I think we struggle or, or we deal with fear differently. We deal with fear oh. very differently um, as men and women. And so if, if you are terrified of risk, if you're terrified of failure, if you never want to make the same mistake twice, you will not succeed as an entrepreneur. All we do is make mistakes all the time. We fail. We fall on our face. We're like, well, that was an experiment. didn't work. Let's try again. Um and, and most most successful people know this, male or female, but you have to be willing to fail, fall on your face, make a mistake, learn, dust yourself off and get back in the horse. Um, and if you don't, then then it will be very difficult because very few people have a smooth, perfect, perfect ladder to success. There's a lot of dips, there's a lot of valleys, and you gotta be able to withstand those to make it.
1: I, you know, that really touched me, what you said, growing up with three sisters and uh, being married to an amazing woman. It, it was funny. Tony was hosting a couple of friends, some um, younger leaders. Uh, so I'm on my boat with all women uh, earlier this week. And we were talking about like Instagram and what you need. And they were talking about how polished their posts need to be. And I'm like, no, they don't need to be polished at all. And I took a picture of my finished dinner plate and, and threw it up on my insta story just to prove that you can put anything on the internet and like people will not abandon you. Right. But that really plays into this idea like guys normally would just say yeah, you know what? Like that yeah, the market was bad or or this just happened and I'm going to try again. That that really uh, so how do you help women if that's true and it, it does resonate and you see this, you work with thousands of women? Uh, how do, you, how do you coach yourself through that? Or how do you get coached through that? Or is that just, no, that's the way I'm wired and this is the way it's going to be. Like, how, how, do, you, how do you get people past that fear?
2: I think there's, um, for me, the approach that I've tried that has, has worked at least up to this point is I really try to normalize fear because I used to think of fear as a bad sign. Like if I was scared of something, I shouldn't do it. This is a red flag, turn back now. Right. It's a sign from God that it's a bad idea. That's what fear represented to me. And so what I've I've noticed is fear is not a bad sign. It's a normal part of the journey. You're scared because it's new. You're scared because it's different. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. I tell people all the time, fear is not a sign you're doing something bad. It's a sign you're doing something bold. And so when I begin to normalize fear and help people realize you're not the only one that thinks this, everybody thinks this, everybody has the imposter syndrome. I teach a lot on the imposter syndrome. Researchers believe up to 70% of people suffer from it. Kate Winslet has said before going off, this is Academy award-winning Kate Winslet has yeah. said before going off to a shoot, I would think, I can't do this. I'm a fraud. They're going to find me out. So even really successful people suffer from fear or doubt or the imposter syndrome. It's just the difference is successful people do it anyway. They do it scared. Mm. They don't wait until they're not scared to do the thing they want to do. They do it scared. And so what I tell people all the time is don't wait until you're not scared. If, you're wait, if you wait until you're not scared, you won't do anything. Everything I've ever done, I have done terrified. The first time I walked on a stage as a public speaker, I was shaking in my shoes, like terrified, but I just faked it. I faked it till I felt it. And over years of reps of doing something, that fear lessens. But it's amazing how I think we want to insulate ourselves from any potential failure. We want to protect ourselves from fear and say, okay, when I'm not scared, when I'm super confident, when I'm ready, I'll do it. Well, ready is a myth. You've got to do the thing scared because truly the antidote to fear is action. Nothing will silence your fear of doing the thing like doing the thing. So go do the thing because then fear can't torment you with all these terrifying possibilities of what's going to happen. If you do it, you're like, I did it. Shut up. Like I did it. So just normalizing it, I think really um, helps people understand they have permission to do the thing scared. I love Joyce Myers says new levels, new devils. Every time you do Mm. do and push yourself outside your comfort zone, which is where all good things exist, by the way, you're going to be a little scared because you've never done it. And that's okay. You know, that's a normal normal part of the journey. And so it just helps people realize, yeah, I feel that and I'm, I'm not going to let it stop me because the, the reality is that fear wants to box us into a very small life. Fear establishes the limits of our life. So if you're scared of heights, you'll stay low. If you're scared of people, you'll stay alone. If you're scared of outside, you'll stay inside. And so we start to realize, wow, this is really limiting my life. I'm not going to let it do that anymore. I'm going to do it scared, whatever the thing is. Um, and after, after reps, after multiple successes, after doing it, you can feel scared from one situation, and be like, you know what? But I was scared over here and I did it anyway. I'm going to do this as well. And so it really helps you develop that muscle, even if you're still scared at the time.
1: How do you know, um, because I, I love that you're talking about this and I'm thinking about imposter syndrome. A lot of the people I know who want to get stuff off the ground, they have like a research thing like, well, I just, I need to go get a degree one example, or yeah, uh, I need to read some more books Mm -hmm. or the website isn't quite ready to launch. I was sitting down with one entrepreneur this morning looking at her website and I'm like, it's beautiful. It's like, yeah, it just wasn't ready to launch. I'm like, well, it's better than mine, you know, and I got a great website, but where, where's, and then sometimes you're really not ready. Like you're not an expert in the space. You, you, you don't actually have anything that people, uh, would benefit from. But how do you know where that line is that you actually have an idea or that you you are ready to launch? Yeah. Like, are there certain benchmarks?
2: That's a, that- that's a great question. So I tell people, I want you to start with the baby version of your idea. Entrepreneurs are a lot of times like this. We're dreamers. We're visionaries. We're like, oh, I'm going to start this new app and this app's yeah. going to change the world and it's going to cost a million dollars and I got to go, you know. Okay, great. Let's validate that idea with like, a Facebook group. Let's start with your bullet yeah. church. <laughs> you know like let's let's prove that this is actually something worth investing in your time, your energy, your money, your skills, your education, whatever. So so what I try to do is I try to take the big dream and not lose the big dream, but break it down to a baby version of that dream, a 1.0 version of that dream that we're going to test and try and start with. And what's so beautiful about this when you're getting into business is it's beneficial not just for the business idea, it's very beneficial for you. Because you think You know what the market wants. You think you know exactly what you need to say, how you need to say it, how you need to build it, and you don't. Business Mm -hmm. is a conversation with the marketplace. So what I want you to do is create your 1.0 version, your baby version, and put it out there and see what people say. Because what they're going to say is they're going to say, I love this, but not this, a little more of this, a little less of this. And then you take that feedback. You go back and you make the 2.0 version and you make it a little better and you put it out there and they're like, oh, I love it. Could you also add this feature and this and this? This is how a conversation works when two people participate. And what a lot of entrepreneurs miss is they think they know exactly what the market needs and they have it so perfect in their head and they're going to wait till it's perfect to put it out there. And they spend a lot of time, money, energy, and delay where they're missing out on this real-time feedback from the market. They finally launched something at some point that they think is perfect. It's not perfect. You're never done iterating. You're never done improving. We're always listening to the market because it's this conversation. And so what's happening in that process when you do a little at a time, even though it's not this big splash, here's my new app, is not only is the business idea getting refined and validated and improved, you're learning your business skills. You're learning Mm -hmm. how to deal with that crazy customer. You're learning how to deal with that Facebook friend that came out of the woodwork from middle school asking you for this thing for free. You're learning what you're okay with and what you're not and what your values are and what help you need and what your strengths are and what you need to outsource. So it's so important to start with the baby version. I use the iPhone example. We're on the iPhone. What now? 10, 11, 25. Yeah. I don't know, but they started with the one. They started with the iPhone one. right? and then the iPhone two, and they've improved from there. And that's really what we need to do in business because I don't want you to wait Until you're ready to start, you'll never start. Um, And by the way, a lot of people that say, I'm not ready, or it's not perfect, or I need another degree, or I need more, here's what I hear the most, Carrie, I need more experience. I need more Mm. experience. What they're doing is they have this idea in their head that those things will make them feel ready. They will make them feel confident. They will make them feel qualified, and they don't. You can have all the degrees in the world on your wall and not feel qualified. That is something that's in you. And you've got a lot of successful entrepreneurs that have no degrees, by the way. A piece of oh, paper yeah. doesn't give you permission to go into the marketplace. When you solve a problem and you're willing to work hard and serve the marketplace, that's when you're ready to go into the marketplace. And everyone starts somewhere. So give yourself permission to be a beginner. You may be a C-level business coach, but hey, you're, you're helping somebody that sucks. You know what I mean? Like you can help somebody with your C-level skills and knowledge. There's somebody that knows less than you. So go help them and then you'll improve your skills and become a B-level and then an A-lister business coach. And and so really, I think a lot of people are using those as crutches and excuses because they don't feel ready. But the truth is, you're ready when you are willing to serve the marketplace and listen and solve a problem. Just to your point, start with your, your 1.0 version so you can learn as you go.
1: You mentioned uh, a Facebook group. You know, the other the other objection I hear a lot is, I don't have the money. I need millions of dollars or, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds right. of thousands. Pick your digit. Right. Um, and, and the reality is, you know, people, people ask me all the time, how'd you get started blogging? And, you know, we have a crazy amount of traffic today. And I bought a $75 WordPress theme. Right. That was it. It wasn't that great, but it was what I could afford at the time. And it was really the content that drove the growth. It wasn't you know, a massive Facebook advertising budget. It wasn't, I didn't advertise on Facebook for years. And, you know, it just started with viral growth. And then it's sort of, people ask me, what's your business strategy? It's like, I didn't have one. You just, this hobby became now what I do with my life. And um, where would some low hanging fruit, what are some examples of places where you can just start tomorrow or next Monday without, a whole lot of money without a whole lot of expertise. Like where do you just, where can you launch?
2: Well, I think a lot of people um, get into business by thinking of what they love and what they're good at and what they think would help people. And that's not a bad place to start. That can give you a great, some great ideas, but what is going to cause your growth is life change for other people Mm -hmm. is solving a problem. When you had people come to your blog, Carrie, they came for themselves. They didn't come for you. They came because, Nobody,
1: I always say that to my team. Nobody cares about me.
2: No, it's they're, true. they're what, like, what's in it for me? You did something in your content that added value to them that they came back and back and back and told their friends. That's the difference. So if you approach your business or your blog or your idea, whatever it is from what problem does this solve for someone? How can I help someone? How can I add value? When you transform someone's life or you just give them tips on how to, you know, improve the curb appeal of their home or here's five hacks on how to have more time or whatever your thing is. I don't even know. It doesn't matter the industry. It doesn't matter that you could be helping them have beehives. It doesn't matter. It can be super niche. When you help people, you will attract the tribe that is interested in what you're about, that they have the problems you're solving and and they begin to spread the word for you and they come back again and again. The problem is. When we start to get into business thinking it's about us, like I'm so clever, I have funny stories. People ask me all the time, Carrie. They come up to me all the time and say, "I want to be a speaker like you." And my response is the same every time. What do you want to say? Because I never wanted to be a speaker, but I had something to say that would help people. And the the platform, the method to get that out to help people with speaking, I could do it on stage or I could do it in my mom's basement. I don't care where I do it. I just want to help people. And when you're focused on, look at me, I'm in the spotlight. I want to be an influencer. I want to be so clever. No one comes for that. They're coming for themselves. There's a great, um, great TED Talk. I'm sure you know it, but for your listeners, um, Simon Sinek, Start With Why. He has a book about this, but it came from his TED Talk. If you just want to have the 18-minute TED Talk, people don't show up for you. They show up for themselves. And so everything about your business needs to answer the question your customer, your viewer, your reader is thinking, which is what's in it for me. Every piece of marketing, every piece of content, every product feature needs to somehow answer the question your customer's thinking, which is what's in it for me. When you do that, you don't need a lot of money because you're adding value in some way and those that organic growth that you just talked about will happen. I mean, you can do it through Facebook, you can do it through blogs, Facebook Live, videos, Instagram, it doesn't matter. I mean, gosh, we've got a million free social media marketing tools to get the message out there, but the message has to be good. If the message is good and helps people, then they'll spread it and keep coming back.
1: Can we talk about value and pricing as well? I'd I'd love to talk about that because, you know, what I do, I don't know what your story is, but like, I didn't make money doing this at the beginning. It was a hobby that turned into something that eventually involved a team and, you know, fixed costs and so on and so forth as it grew. Like, can you make money overnight? Do you, like, we have a freemium model where most people expect things like this podcast for free. Right. So how do you know, like, and, and the other question that's under the question is, uh, and I'm glad you raised gender differences, my suspicion would be that women tend to undervalue their services and undervalue their products. Have you run into that? So let's, let's talk about pricing a little bit.
2: Yes. Okay. So, and there's a couple things going on there. I want to start with the, what you just said about the difference between men and women. Um, it also is, is um, in the nature of the industry that you're in. So, if you are in an industry where you're charging for you, your knowledge, your your uh, it's a service based business. You're charging so consulting or
1: speaking. Yes,
2: exactly. It feels so personal because it's you. And so even men can can struggle with this, like what am I worth feeling? Because you're charging for yourself. You're not charging for a hard cost of goods that you're just marking up. Um, Service based businesses struggle with this, and and women in particular. Product or service, it doesn't matter. But what's going on there? Is women tr- tr- traditionally are so relational? Like we are wired very relationally, and so we value ourselves by our relationships. I'm, you know, Carter and Conley's mom. I'm Matt's wife. I'm so and so's friend. I'm, like we we see the world around us through relationships. Well, when you put a price on something, you're thinking, oh, well, how will that make them feel? Well, I don't. I, what if they don't have the money? Well, I just feel bad. I don't want to take money from them. We have all these feelings about money, and so what I do, especially when I work with women on pricing is I take all the squirmy feelings out of it. I say, sales is a transaction. It is an exchange of value. Okay, this is, no one has any feelings about this. When you go in Starbucks and you give them $5, you don't feel bad about that. It's because you want the coffee more than your $5, and they want your $5 more than they want the coffee. And that was an exchange of value. And the same thing is happening in your business with your painting or your hair bows or your consulting. It is an exchange of value that person wants your knowledge and expertise and life change, again, solutions to their problems. It has to have a result here more than they want their $100 an hour or session. And you want that $100 more than you want whatever's going on in your head that's going to help them. So I take all the emotions and, and squirming feelings out of it, but you made a great point. I think you need to know your industry. Like if, if, if you're going to charge for a podcast, like, something amazing because yeah yeah better be really
1: good to be behind that paywall yeah
2: (laughs) yeah but but that doesn't mean that you can't have different legs of your business and i tell people all the time um you need to know what purpose any given leg of your business is going to do for example i used to blog all the time as this business grew that wasn't a good use of my time we weren't actively monetizing it it wasn't going to be one of the core aspects of either marketing or providing any product or service. And so we just kind of let it uh, go on maintenance mode. We'll post some new articles every now and then, but it's, it's not a core part of my business. And that was a strategic, intentional move. My podcast, however, is. My podcast is not charged, it's free, but it drives other things that we're doing in the business. But we do have other things that we monetize from events to books to planners to my coaching group and that type of thing. So you just need to know what purpose it serves. And if you're not seeing a purpose in what you're doing, don't do it. If it's not somehow driving an aspect of your business, then it's a waste of your time. Um, But there's a lot of different variables that go into pricing. So for example, you want to look at, if you've got a product-based business, you want to obviously look at your cost of goods and your true cost of goods, not just like, oh, it was like one frame. It's like, I mean, everything that goes right, into it. Right.
1: So you got a picture frame business <laughs> right. on Etsy or something. Right. And-
2: What's going yeah. into producing it? You've got to look at your time. You have to look at any overhead, whether that's you know uh, software subscriptions or light or phone bill or whatever. Um, you need to look at what the market will bear. And this mm-hmm. is really, really important. This can vary depending on your region if you're an in-person business. So what someone's playing in Nebraska for storefronts, different than Nashville, Tennessee or L.A. or New York. So you need to look at that, but you also need to look at just the nature of the industry. So for example, if you're making pies, most people expect to pay between 10 and $40 for a pie. If your pie is $200, it better make me lose weight. Like they're, they're that's way <laughs> outside the range of what pies go for. So yes. you need to understand that. The other thing I teach people is if you're in a product-based business, it will have a much more narrow range of what you charge for that product because typically... The product-based business is based on the cost of goods plus a markup, so that's just how yeah. that business is structured. If you're in a service-based business, the range of what you can charge is basically insane. Tick.
1: It's all over right. the place. Right. So
2: you could have a public speaker, or a photographer, or a coach, or consultant that will do something for free and a hug, and you're just going to cook them dinner because they're getting started. And you've got people that are two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a one-hour keynote as a public speaker. And so the range is just insane. Now, that obviously is based on your credentials, your experience, your portfolio, You know your your, demand, demand, all of those things. But I think when you understand the business that you're in, then you begin to pull from these different variables, and you're still going to come up with a range. People think it's a perfect pricing formula. We're all testing and iterating and trying things like we're going to try this and we're going to try this. It's never set it and forget it. Um, You're always trying to adjust, but you – if you know the business you're in and you know the business model of how you're monetizing what you're trying to do, you have got a free podcast at the top of the funnel, but that's driving book sales. That's driving a subscription model. If you begin to understand how these things interact in the customer journey as someone moves through a relationship with you, as they get to know you, like you, and trust you more deeper in the funnel, then you come up with a range that you feel pretty good about that's working for your business and working for the marketplace. And that's something that's really good business and you don't feel bad about. And so when I sell a book, and someone comes up to me and says, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this book. Like, do you think it'll help me? I'm not like, gosh, I don't know, like hit or miss, maybe. <laughs> I'm like, yes, it's going to help you. I can't wait to watch you apply this yeah. to your business. And I can't wait to watch you win. In fact, when you win, will you go ahead and send me your, your story on my email? I'd love to share it on my podcast because I have seen the life change and I believe in what I'm doing. So the caveat to all this is if you don't believe in what you're doing, go do something else. But if you believe in it, you have a responsibility to share it with the marketplace because people need what you have to offer. And it's your job to tell them about it.
1: I imagine this is fairly easy, Christy. Once you get started, you're out of the gate, particularly with personal services. You can figure out, okay, you know, I'm sold out at X price. Perhaps the market can withstand a price increase for whatever I'm offering. But if you're just starting out. So right now I want to think about everybody who's got the idea, but not execution. Okay. Yeah. And let's not talk about picture frames or, you know, yep. crafts that you do. Let's talk about personal services, whether you're a photographer, a uh, public speaker, um, a coach, yep. a, you're offering a course or whatever, or consulting. How do you know what you're worth? Like where, where do you, and I'm not asking you to tell me, you know,
2: well, you charge three ninety nine, and that's where you start. Okay. No, but
1: like, how do you even begin to set a value on that?
2: Okay, so there's two different ways you could go about it. And and I, I think both have pros, pros and cons like anyone would. Let's talk about the way that most people start. That is probably, I mean, that's how I got started as a public speaker. And that is you will do, you will perform that service, speaking, photography, whatever, for anyone, anywhere, for any price, yep. Yep. for anyone, anywhere. And what's amazing is- <laughs> you are learning and growing so much through that those reps it's what, it, it it's it's more for you than it is for them but what will happen is you begin to get your name out there you begin to get um referrals and word of mouth you it starts to build this portfolio now you have a sizzle reel as a speaker now you have a portfolio as a photographer but you're willing to do the grind but what, here's what i would encourage you to do and this is for you again for you and for the market set a date range You're not going to do this free grind forever and market yourself as the free person. What you're going to do, this is what I did when I became certified as a business coach. So when I went through all of these courses, it was about a year and a half of courses. Part of the last bit to to be credentialed to go before the board for your certification is you had to have 400 hours of paid coaching services while you were in class. So you're still not certified, but you need 400 hours that showed that you you had 300 hours of free, but you also needed 400 hours of paid so I had a little blog at the time. This was way before I did a, you know, became a Ramsey personality or anything like that. But I was like, this will just be fun on the side. And I put on my blog and on Facebook and all the social media said, hey, I'm working towards my life coach and business coach certification. I need a, a, some hours that are paid. I'm offering a special introductory rate for these three months. So from August to October, I'm only going to charge $25 a session here's the form, sign up. This is, this is the time frame in which you can get my coaching services for very, very cheap. And then after that, I go to my normal coaching rate. And so what that did was, again, it's kind of that um, urgency of the timeline, the deadline, kind of like the farm rent story. But what it does is it creates this time frame that people are like, oh, well, I want to support her. She's getting credentialed. Like she's starting out. I'm getting to support her. I'm also getting coaching services for super, super cheap. But then come October 1, those prices went up to a normal starting rate, which was like seventy five dollars for a session, which is normal starting rate. Right.
1: Which is what they'd see in the in the wider marketplace.
2: Yeah, and you and you kinda go from there, but you're you're saying on the front end, hey, I'm getting started. Help me out. Here's an introductory rate, but it's good until this date and and you're communicating to them i'm taking it serious come october 1 and you're going to take it serious come october 1 and what's yeah. great is when you've added value for 3 months to these people at $25 an hour a lot of them will make the jump with you because they want to stay yeah, with they're
1: you. real happy to right. pay you more
2: right you've solved their problems you have added value in some way good you, you have to do that regardless of the price or what you're doing <laughs> so that's one 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 approach is just so for the life coaching that or the business coaching that's what i did there with the speaking i just spoke to anyone Anywhere. Carrie, I have spoken at family reunions, high school reunions, high school cafeterias. I have spoken at a literally t- entire uh, classroom auditoriums that are seated for 500 people when two students showed up. And it turned out they got extra credit is the only reason they came. I have been <laughs> in auditoriums where two people showed up. One fell asleep. I kid you not. And one talked on her cell phone, not texted, talked out loud. So I'm like, and baby step four. There's is- nobody there. No. I mean. The stories that I have, they have, I have spoken at a family reunion where they fed me refrigerated chicken fingers and saved me a seat at the kid's table. I kid you not. Like I was, <laughs> the, for all the famous stages I've been on, for all the 12,000, 20,000 people, I have had so many more stories that are so less glamorous. But here's what I found is you have got to be faithful in the small things before God can trust you with those bigger things. If I was not faithful in those stages, if I didn't give it my all and I phoned it in and I was like, well, you jokers aren't even paying attention. So I'm just going to, you know, halfway do it. That's developing poor character in me. And so instead I showed up at every event and I gave it my all as if it was the most important event of my life. And from, from growth from, you know, 10 years of doing this, the stages got bigger. The audiences got more full. The clients got better. The fees got higher. The word of mouth referrals got, you know, more the word spread. But it have, you have to give yourself permission to be a beginner. So photographer, whoever, be willing to provide that service to anyone, anywhere for the reps, for the portfolio, for the getting started, or for a lower rate, for a cheaper rate. But set a time on it. Say, I'm, I'm going to take events that look like this or clients that look like this at this rate for this time frame. And after this, I'm going to get serious. And all that time, by the way, you're marketing yourself. You're not waiting until uh, okay. charging the real rate to start marketing. You're marketing yourself in that. This is your on-ramp. And then when you actually are saying, hey, here's my real rate, I'm taking clients and so on, you have built that demand up for that three months or six months or whatever your season is. But it's for you and for them to know, hey, I'm putting the word out there, get in while you can, and then we're going full steam come this date.
1: Oh, that's good. Anything else on pricing?
2: I think you need to – it really comes down to you feeling confident in the value that you provide. Because if you don't feel confident in the value you provide, if you don't feel confident in your business, if you don't believe in your business, no one else will. But here's what the, the implication of that is. If you believe in your business and you stand by your price and you stand by your value, your worth, whatever that is, then you have got to be okay with people not paying. it. You have to be okay with losing customers. You have to be okay with people going, will you do it for cheaper? And you say, no, I won't. Because what's going to happen is when you put a price out there, what let's just, let's say it's a service-based business. Let's say that you're a wedding planner and your rate is 10% of the total wedding budget. Okay. This is, I'm just sure. making this up, but the, the, hypothetically, and you've got someone that comes in and goes, Oh, well, I really want this service, this package, you know, which is like you, you know, 24 seven being on call for them. And I only want to pay, you know, $200. You have to be willing to turn down that client. Now I know you feel like you're leaving money on the table. I know you feel like you're hurting their feelings, but here's the, the problem is when you take that client, you are devaluing your service and you're removing the possibility that you're going to get the 10% of the big budget client. And so think of it like bait. I use this example all the time. I say, when you go fishing, which I don't because I can't be quiet that long, but if I did go fishing, you use a certain type of bait to catch a certain type of fish you want to catch. When you put out a cheap price, you wonder why you're getting cheapos. That's your bait. If you don't want to serve cheapos, if you don't feel just this heart call For cheapos that want to pay less and ask for more and wear you out and take up 90% of your time and give you 10% of the actual profit, if you don't want to serve them, which I personally don't, then don't put out a cheap price because that's the bait you're putting out. That's the fish you're catching. Put out the price of the type of clientele you want to serve because your target market is the group of people that want what you have to offer and they're willing to pay the price you charge. And let me tell you something. When you find that person and they are out there, sales are effortless. You don't have to twist Mm -hmm. their arm. You don't have to talk them into them. They're like, where do I sign? Here I am. I'll give you an example, Carrie. If I saw an advertisement, I like to get massages. I have, you know, knots in my back and stress and tension and whatever. It's a fun thing to do. If I saw an advertisement for a $25 massage, no, thank you. (laughs) No, thank you. I want to pay more. I want to pay uh, at least $75 for my massage because I believe that that is not a good massage. That is not the value there. That is probably sketchy and weird. Like there are people that want to pay more. Go find them. Let them be your customer. And so, so often I just see women and I say women because I work with women through business boutique. But I think anybody can be guilty of this where they put out a cheap price and then they wonder why they're not making money. I'm like, you're the right. business owner. You set your price. You're attracting that type of person by the price you put out, change your price, change your person you're attracting.
1: One of my uh, submissions in life, I have many, is to cure (laughs) broke thinking in the church because we, the churches, as as we know, not always, but often are filled with what you call cheapos. The people who sit on the board and go, how much for that speaker? How much for this? And it's almost as though the less you pay, the better we do, the better. That's their whole definition of stewardship is how cheap can you get it, which is why- we all had the Kool Aid without sugar as kids, which oh my is why gosh. everything was watered down and bad coffee and the whole <laughs> deal. But that translates to you know everything from the contractor on the building to uh, the supply preacher to uh, somebody you bring in as a consultant, etc. What would you say to? Uh, and I know cheapos don't listen to this podcast, but just so that the <laughs> leaders who do can go back and have a line uh, for the cheapos there. How do you argue your way into a fair price? that you would pay on behalf of a charitable organization or a business for services that are valuable?
2: Well, I think everything that you just described is people looking only at price, not looking at value. Mm. Price is only an issue if you don't believe the values there. Um, And that's true for any consumer. That's that's whether you're in the church or not. Like if I believe that this product is going to provide me with more than what it costs me, then I'm going to buy it and I'm not going to feel bad about it. Assuming I have the money. Now, if someone just does not have the money, that's that, that's, not, that, that's not an option for them. But assuming someone has the money and they're on the fence about something, if they believe that value, that service is worth it, that product is worth it, then they will pay it happily. Thrilled. The problem with that mentality is they're looking at the price regardless of the value. They're like, I will leave 10 times the value on the table because I don't like that. I'm just, uh. it's very small thinking. It's yeah, very, yeah. it's very, um, Narrow-minded thinking, which if we want to get biblical about this, I mean, if you look at the examples of Scripture, if you look at the parable of the talents, we are called, we are instructed to go and multiply what we've been given. And if you're not faithful with a few things, God's not going to give you more to mismanage. But mismanage doesn't mean being cheap. It doesn't mean skimping. Jesus gave the best wine. (laughs) Like there's Mm -hmm. something I feel like we are having a terrible reputation and testimony when we're leaving crappy tips and we've got crappy Kool-Aid and we've got crappy speakers and we've got crappy, we should have the best. Um, there's an awesome uh, person I would refer you to uh, or, or thing resource I've mentioned. I interviewed Stephanie Meeks. Uh, she's okay. the owner of Five Daughter Bakery here in Nashville. And she's this unbelievable, unbelievable Christian. Like Her, her faith is like she just shines when she's in a room. And I asked her this question because her donuts are stupid expensive, Carrie. Like they're crazy. Okay. How much are they, Heidi? Like they're they're probably six bucks a piece, probably. I mean, they're okay for a donut. One donut. Okay, they're crazy expensive. And I asked her one time. I was like, and they're really good. Okay, they're really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got lines out bucks. the door at multiple locations all day, every day. Okay, so this business is not struggling. But she's a believer. So I was like, I gotta know. Like. How do you charge so much for your donuts? Like, do you feel? And she said, it's not that I feel like I should charge less because I'm a believer. I feel like I should charge more because I'm a believer, because I'm stewarding what God has given me. I want our brand and our business and our donuts to have the best reputation of the most expensive, the most quality, the most, the best experience. She goes, I don't want us to be the cheap brand. I don't want us to be the 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 brand that is like as a believer I feel like I have even more responsibility to charge more. And she didn't she never saw charging more as taking advantage of someone. She saw it as this um stewarding and the reputation that her business had. It, she explained it way more articulately than me. But on this podcast, she it was just amazing her answer flipped the whole question on its head. It was like as believers, shouldn't we have the best? Shouldn't we have the best speakers? Shouldn't we have the best churches? Shouldn't we have the best cooling? Shouldn't mm. we have the best of everything? If the value's there, you don't want to get taken advantage of. But if the value's there, that we should honor someone for the work that they do. We should honor someone for the value that they provide. And um, it's really sad when people miss that because the church is missing out on benefiting from all of those solutions and services and quality because they're only looking so small-minded at whatever this amount is. Um, but I, I, I think for in the church or out of the church, we see that happening.
1: No, I, I so appreciate what you're saying. And we'll link to that. That's an episode from your show.
2: Yeah, it's a business podcast. It's, podcast. it's an older one with um, Stephanie Meek, but it's... Yeah, we'll link, to it. We'll link to it. Her story's beautiful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I'd love that. And I think there's a difference between opulent and excellent value. I think there's a difference between that. And our, our you know, whenever I price something, I hope that people think it was worth more than what they paid. But you know, whether that's course or whatever it happens to be. What do you do? Because you raised this earlier, because this is a problem for a lot of self-employed people. You've got the people who want it for free. It's like, well, we're friends. Just come and do it for free. Or, uh, hey, we've never paid that amount. Will you do it for, you know, a fraction of what you normally charge? Uh, What's your advice to entrepreneurs when that happens?
2: So if you're a a believer, then I, like, I'll tell you, here's my, Here's my protocol for that. And then there's always the disclaimer, if God leads. If God mm. leads you to do something, then you obey. But God is not leading you to just be a doormat. So we need a plan mm. for how we're going to handle things, be a good steward of our business and not get run over and taken advantage of. But there will always be exceptions to that rule. So, for example, people ask me to coffee all the time to pick my brain. My answer to that is no. Now I have a little script. Like I have it like, oh, thank you so much for thinking of me. You know, like I will be very kind. But my protocol is no because that's time away from my family. A yes there is, is a no to something else that's mm-hmm. more of a priority to me. And that's also how I make a living is through my coaching services. So I'm not going to dilute those by just going to coffee for all these.
1: Right. People. Coffee equals coaching. And the he brain can solve pickings. my problem totally. for me for, for free. Me. Yeah.
2: However, every now and then, like I, there, I had this experience about eight months ago, a, a young woman in our company came up to me after um, one of our staff meetings and she was like, Hey, Christy, you know, my name is such and such. And I just, I'm so inspired by you. I just really, um, would love to learn from you. I'd love to like be mentored by you. Like, is there any way that you would spend time with me? I get this request like all the time, not like I'm so popular, but this isn't, this is not the only time sure. this has ever happened. No,
1: it's a real thing. And in
2: I the moment it. I said, yes, like I just felt the spirit lead me that I was supposed to mentor this girl. And, and so I responded in that moment as an exception to the rule, but I will tell you, this is a real struggle for people to say no and stand their ground. And so here's what I teach people. This is so practical, but Carrie, it's insanely helpful. I want you to write it out ahead of time. I want you to write out your response to the most common requests you get. So someone asking for your product for free or at cost, you know, cheaper than what you're pricing. Someone asking for um, your pattern or your secret sauce because they want to make it themselves, this thing that you build your business on. They want to know how to do it themselves. Um, Someone asking you to go to coffee to pick your brain. Whatever the most common requests you get are, and you know what they are if you're the business owner, I want you to go ahead and script out your response. And you can work on it. You can tweak it. I want you to script it out exactly what you're going to say in a way that feels authentic and true to you but stands for ground, and the answer is no. And what when you do that, you practice it in front of your mirror, in front of your spouse, in front of your dog. You practice it. And then the next time someone asks you, when that person comes out of the woodwork on Facebook from middle school and they want you to be their realtor for free because, remember, y'all go way back, you have right. got your response. You don't feel – caught off guard, you don't feel put on the spot, and you are able to answer in a way that is authentic, that you don't end up resenting yourself and regretting it later and trying to wriggle out of it, which is, I want your word to mean something. I want you to be credible and right. not to say yes. You don't but, want to real, say yes no. on the
1: spot and then email right. back later. Yeah. And go, Actually, yes. Mm-hmm. An
2: honest no is always better than a dishonest yes. We're going to ha- have our word mean something, So you script it, you practice it, and then when you're put on the spot, uh, you have that response in your back pocket. So I'll give you an example. My husband is brilliant at this, Carrie, because I have a lot of ideas. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm the excitable one, as you can probably imagine. My husband is practical, logical, conservative, all that. So I got new ideas, like 500 a day, and he will say no to me about something, and he never even says the word. It's brilliant, and it's so kind. So here's what it looks like. It looks kind of like the feedback or criticism sandwich. It's like he starts with something really nice and affirming and then politely declines without even saying the word, and then ends with something affirming. So a conversation would go something like this, and they can use this in their business. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, Matt, I've got this great, brilliant idea. We should totally redecorate our entire living room again. (laughs) Right? Like I would just make this up. (laughs) And he'll be like, wow, man, you are just so creative. You're so good at design. Um, I don't think we have the bandwidth for any more projects right now, but I just love how creative you are. Now, that was Mm -hmm. so nice. But the answer is no, we're not doing another. Project. Right. We're not redecorating. So you can be so kind if someone says, you know, Christy, I want to take you to coffee to pick your brain or, hey, can you help me move this weekend? Or, hey, can you raise my children or provide chili for the potluck? You can come up with a response. It's like, thank you so much for thinking of me. I'm not going to be able to fill that this weekend or this is not a priority right now. Or, um, you know, I'm maxed out, but I hope you guys have an awesome chili cookout, you know, or whatever the thing is. You can be so kind. But you, the answer is still the same. The answer is no. And I think it's really, the, the key to this is preparing ahead of time. You have to prepare ahead of time. Because if not, when you're on the spot, you will over explain or you'll say yes and try to wriggle out of it later. And so instead, prepare ahead of time, script it, practice it, and then you're ready. And of course, there's always the disclaimer, if you feel the spirit leads you, then certainly obey if there's someone you're supposed to bless.
1: Yeah, it's kind of what Andy Stanley says. Sometimes you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Like I'm having lunch with somebody next Monday, and he just asked. I get lots of requests, and normally I say no because otherwise I can't write, I can't lead, I can't preach, I can't do what I'm called to do. Right. But I'm like, no, I can, I can meet this guy, and uh, you know, it was just something that really caught my heart in the moment. I'm like, yeah, this one I'm going to do.
2: The, the so, other thing I think is important is to remember. My mom told me this growing up, and this is so simple. Um, but I think women that are really relational, we get caught up in the emotions of the moment, and we. Oh, I feel bad and all that. But my mom gave me this great line, and I actually used it today, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, she said, Christy, if someone is gonna have the nerve to ask you, you have to have the nerve to say no. Because they had the nerve to ask you, they had the nerve to initiate that request, they had the nerve to lowball you, they had the nerve to whatever the thing is. You've got to meet them there. And just because you can do something does not mean that you should. Just because someone needs you doesn't obligate you so i'll give you a really practical example this was literally like an hour before i came into the office to do this interview with you um we're trying to sell my older car and the guy that was interested in buying it is like deep in the day of ramsey tribe he's like oh my gosh you're christy right like he knew me so i was like oh i just want to be anonymous like i just want to be a mom and if you give lover. it to
1: me at this price i'll be debt free ah, <laughs> i'm, like, I'm like i just want
2: to be like a normal person selling the car so anyway, of course, we had the list price and expecting to negotiate and I had a range and I had a bottom dollar that I was willing to accept for selling our car, all based on research and all that stuff. And he offered me the, he didn't know that, but he offered me with the lowest I was willing to accept. And I thought, okay, this is a Dave Ramsey guy. He's an honest guy. He's paying cash. Like he's got a young family. So in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I feel good about that. Like, I feel good about taking this amount. That was that. So we agreed on that price and he was like, well, I want to get it inspected. And then, you know, we'll do all the paperwork. I was like, okay, great. So we get the inspection back and there's some maintenance things it needs which it's a 10-year-old car of course it does but it was nothing alarming and he offered me less. He said um, he said I want to take this off the price and then you know would you accept this offer and I said no. I I you know said I've already taken a lot of money off of it and I said but I totally understand if it's not a good fit for you thanks anyway. And I was willing to walk away and it was like if he had the nerve to ask for less when I'd already given less offered you know what I mean like taken less then I had to have the nerve to say no. I had to have the nerve to walk away. And, and you can do that with your time. You can do it with your money. You can do it with whatever. But people will always ask for more and more and more and more. And at some point, you have to realize, hey, if they have the nerve to ask, I have the nerve to protect my stuff, my resources, my time, my energy, my money, my things. And, um, and, and, and you don't just have the right to protect those things. You have the responsibility to. Because no one's going to protect your time. No one's going to protect your business. No one's going to protect your bank account if you don't. It's your job, and we are called to be stewards. By the way, it's not even yours, it's God's. We're called to be stewards of that, so you have to be smart with that.
1: I so appreciate that. You know, there's something under that, Christy, that's really kind of interesting to me. Uh, under the variety of examples. But yeah, a car is a really good example of that. Like, you know, the value of the car based on the blue book, black book, or whatever yeah. is between X and Y. Right. And he wanted to go below that. It is easy to walk away from a transaction like that because you're like, well, there's some other guy who might pay me in the middle of the, the range or the top of the range, you know, and then we can deduct the maintenance from there. But when it comes to personal services or, you know, shooting a wedding or planning a wedding or whatever that happens to be. You have to actually feel that there's value right. in what you offer.
2: Well, and what you're trying to find as a business owner, but as a consumer as well, like if I was in his shoes, this is what I said to him whenever we were negotiating the first time to get to the first amount. I said, I want something. I want a deal for me and a deal for you. So, and yeah. this goes back to the church broke mentality, okay? If, if the church will not pay a, a market value for services and products They're putting people out of business and they will not have those options for products and services in the future. You need to find the middle ground that is a value for you and a value for them. And so I'm never like if I'm if I'm quoting things and I quote things all the time personally and professionally, I'm never trying to get the cheapest, the person that I'm just going to wear them out and they're not even going to make money. I want them to make money because I want them to stay in business because I want to use them again. So you're trying to honor the work that they're doing and you're also trying To get a good deal for you. But to your point, if if you believe the values there, then you don't mind paying that. I'll give you an example of of having a wedding planner. Hiring Mm -hmm. a wedding planner was really hard for me because I'm very creative. I'm good at events. I'm like, I can do this myself. This is a waste of money, right? So I sit down and it's this um, woman that is actually a family friend. So I was like, this will automatically, I know she's going to give me a good deal because we're friends and that kind of thing. So I'm already kind of like, okay, let me go the a little bit cheaper than like, you know, just some random stranger in a, in a wedding planning business. So we sit down and I was like, explain to me how this works. I was like, how much is it? And what does it involve? And she kind of showed me her packages and she walked me through and like her actual packages and what she charged. And I'm still struggling with it. I'm still like, I don't know if the value's there. That's what I'm struggling with. I don't know if the value's mm-hmm. there. I don't know if it's worth this amount of money or any amount of money because I just, I can do it myself. And then she said something to me and I use this as marketing uh, I use this when I teach marketing all the time because it's brilliant. She said something that made me get the value and made me feel something. So like if you're if you're marketing your business and you're using all this marketing language, like we lead to transformative results in your business for the future yeah. and beyond, no one gives a crap. That's a bunch of marketing language. It doesn't make people feel anything. Let me tell you what Jenny said to me when I sat down to her with her and I was skeptical about this wedding planning. She said, I do everything so that you can show up to your wedding as a guest. I said, where do I sign? Because I got it. It, Sold. it made Sold. me feel something. I got the value. It's was like, I'm going to show up to my own wedding as a guest. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to write checks. I don't have to orchestrate the florist. I don't have to, you're going to do everything so that I can show up to my own wedding as a guest. That visual, like I got that chill. It made me feel something and people make purchases based on how they feel. So you need to, mm. as a marketing side note here, Communicate your value that makes people feel something, that makes people care, that makes people get it. I'll give you another example. This uh, friend of mine, April Perry, she runs a business that helps people become more organized and productive. Okay, those words are accurate. They're also boring. I know that I need hmm. more organization. I know I need more productivity, but that doesn't make me feel anything. So when she's saying, "Hey, my three hundred dollars course helps you be more organized and productive," I'm like, eh. "Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah." Right? We can all be more organized.
2: Yeah, more. yeah. Like I'm sure that's valuable. I'm, but is it three hundred dollars value? I don't know. And she's like, "Here's what I do. I help you get the piles out of your house." I said, "Oh, where do I sign?" Because I'm, yeah. I'm surrounded yeah. by piles—laundry piles, paper piles, rock piles, dump truck piles. I would love to get the piles. Like, it's amazing when you realize, as your as the business owner, it's your job to communicate the value. But not just communicate it in an accurate way, communicate it in a compelling way that makes people feel something where they want to get out their checkbook, where they want to get out their wallet and their purse because they're going, I get it. This is worth more to me than the money I'm going to pay for this service or this product. And and you're finding that middle ground that at the end of the relationship, Jenny felt great about my wedding because she made that amount of money. And I felt great about my wedding because I didn't have to do anything. And so you're finding that that's what business is. Business, I think people think of business as If you're a consumer, your job is just to get the cheapest. And if you're the business owner, your job is to make the most money and take advantage of people. These extremes are not accurate in either case. As a consumer and as a business owner, you're finding the middle ground where both of you are thrilled with the deal. Both of you love the price, the deal. Man, that was when I go to Starbucks, I don't leave sad. I'm real happy about having my own coffee.
1: And you would replay that wedding scene that you talked about with Jenny, your planner, all day long, over and over again. That's right. Right? It's like, yeah, you'd hire again in a heartbeat. That's right. Because you got to go to your wedding as a guest. That's right. Well, I did not intend to spend most of this uh, episode talking about pricing, but this has been a fascinating conversation because it's the the most granular we've ever gotten on value and pricing and valuing yourself. And I think that's a real issue in a lot of circles. Plus, you know, the whole broke mindset that church leaders struggle with, you know, cheap is more expensive in the long run for yes. sure. Yes, yes. Um, What other issues, as we sort of wrap up, what other issues do you see entrepreneurs facing or want to be entrepreneurs facing that you're like, wow, yeah, this is on my top five, top 10 list of things that I'm always talking about?
2: Yeah, so we we hit on a little bit, but I would say the number one is fear. And we talked about that. Mm. The money is certainly a piece about it. We talked about that a lot. Third, this is the one we just hit on a little bit, but time management. It's just male or female, any stage of life. How do you do it all? you're never off. You're always connected. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, I have several different kind of tips and teachings on life balance and creating your version of balance. What does it look like as an entrepreneur? But I will tell you the thing that has just really been on my heart the last year is the importance, unbelievable importance of seasons. Because I think Mm -hmm. we approach our life from this perspective of January 1, I'm going to set goals and resolutions And by God, in June and November, I'm still beating myself up because I didn't keep those things. Well, your life has changed. The priorities I have in January are different from June, are different from October. And so just assessing your life and your priorities from a seasonal mentality as an entrepreneur or not is really, really important. And Ecclesiastes talks about the value of seasons. There is a seasonality to what we do. And so um, if you look at your life from any small block of time from a micro level you you can make assessments about yourself that are not true when i was on book tour for two and a half weeks i didn't see my kids hardly at all i was trying to get my right. book out in the world it was a two and a half week book tour if you look at that and go oh, i'm a bad mom i'm the worst mom i don't know my kids what are they doing no if you look at it like that no in that season the priority was launching my book that summer my priority was not going in the office it was hanging out with my kids taking them to the zoo going to the playground In a different season, my priority might be training for a marathon. In a different season, my like right now, my priority is getting ready for Mary Grace, my daughter that's going to be here in September. I am trying to get the rooms rescheduled. We've got bunk beds going in. We've got the nursery getting flipped. Like we've got all these. That's the priority this season. That won't be the priority in the fall. In the fall, it's going to be just being a mom of a newborn. So just the seasonality to our lives, I think, has such value because it gives you permission to reset your priorities. Based on the season that you're in, and not feel guilty of oh I work too much or I seem I don't work enough or I you know my house is a mess well my house is a mess right now because I got two young kids and a baby on the way like it doesn't mean I'm a bad mm. mom I'm a scattered mom I'm a messy mom I'm in a season of toddlers so it just gives you this permission to realize that this is a season and it's not who you are it's not your identity and it's not a reflection of who you will always be but it gives you permission to live in that season embrace that season. And, and know that it will have an end and there will be a time that I wish there were little fingerprints all over my front door like my in-laws do right now. That season will change. What
1: are some of the rhythms, habits, and disciplines that have helped you launch really a, a massive platform of your own, business of your own, coach, be a mom, be a wife and still have time to do interviews like this? Like what are some of the rhythms and practices that are working for you?
2: Well, on a tactical level, um, tactically, I use time blocking. So I will Mm -hmm. block segments of time. So right now I'm writing a devotional and I can't write a devotional in 30 minute blocks. So I've blocked the month of July. This is the only thing I'm doing today other than writing the entire morning. And so I have long blocks of time, not in and out of a lot of things. I'm also very proactive about my schedule where I go into my week ahead and I put on there what the most important priorities are and everything else has to work around that. I think a lot of people are very reactive with their schedule. Stephen Covey talks about this. He says, don't prioritize your schedule, schedule your priorities. So don't move around puzzle pieces that are already there. Go ahead and put the puzzle pieces on that you want. Schedule your priorities. And everything else falls around that. And so it gives you this ownership of being proactive. Just because someone puts an appointment on your calendar doesn't mean you have to go. doesn't mean you have to accept it. It, And and you realize you're in charge of your life. You're in charge of your time. You don't have to say yes to everything. So time blocking is a very tactical one. Also, what we talked about earlier, just saying no. I say no to a lot of stuff. And I've gotten really good at it. And so I feel guilt-free when I do it. Um, Not 100% of the time. But I tell people all the time saying no is a muscle. And if you never Mm. use it then it's a little weak. And so when you start lifting those weights, it's a little wobbly at first, but the more you do it, the better you become. And eventually you feel powerful, like you actually have a say in your own life. Imagine that. And so um, saying no is a skill to make sure the only things on my schedule are the things that are really, really important to me. Like I'll give you an example. Um, even as we're looking ahead with um, me being out on maternity leave one in September, I can't just go dark for three months. So yeah. we have, crammed 12 months of work into eight months, I've gotten my podcast recorded through February of next year. And so you're just, that's a priority, which means a lot of things I didn't get to do. We said no to outside speaking. We said no to favors. We said no to, you know, a lot of things so that we could say yes to batching the podcast. So it just, it gives you permission to know what your priorities are and only spend your time on those most important things. And you say no to everything else. So that's the tactical, but let me tell you something that's less tactical but I think very powerful, and this is true for men and women, and this has been transformative for me in terms of life balance. Um, I have realized that the source of my guilt with my time between the work and home and kids and all that kind of stuff, especially as a mom and a mom of young kids and all the pressures and all that, what that means, I've realized that my guilt always comes from focusing on where I'm not. So, if I'm at work, I'm like, well, are my kids okay? Are they sick? What are they doing? I should be there. They're at the zoo. I wish I was there. I wish I was with the drafts. Are the giraffes. you know, you're just focusing on what you're not. But then you're at home. I didn't meet that deadline. I, didn't, I forgot to respond to that email. Let me pull up my phone real quick. Let me pull up my computer real quick. Let me just respond. If you're always focusing on where you're not, then you always feel guilty because you're never focused on where you are and you're never actually present where you are. Well, I'll tell you when this really hit me. It was when my son Carter, he's now four and a half, I was dropping him off at daycare for the first time. And this is a very emotional day for anyone. The first day of daycare, it's your first child. You're just, you know, tears. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, my gosh. So I'm driving away. Yeah,
1: like, dads, too. I remember. Totally.
2: It. It's just this, it's this moment of, like, emotional angst. And I'm driving away from daycare, which was a quarter mile from my office, by the way. Okay, very close. <laughs> I'm driving away, and I just kept thinking about, is he okay? Does he need me? Is he going to, you know, whatever. Four months old. And I felt God say to me, Christy, remember that what you're doing is important. Meaning what I was driving to, my work. The work that I get to do is important. The 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 lives that I get to change, the the impact I get to make, the way that God uses my skills and gifts, that's important work. And what I realized in that moment was I was looking through the rearview mirror, literally, of the daycare. And and that moment shifted everything for me where I decided to start living my life looking through the front windshield instead of the rearview mirror. And so instead of always focusing on where I'm not, I just focus on where I am. And it's literally a a, a control where I have a choice to make in any given moment to focus on where I'm not or where I am. So, right now, I'm here with you. I don't know what my kids are doing. They could be sleeping at home, they could be somewhere else. I don't <laughs> even know. But I'm here with you, hanging out with you, fully engaged, fully present, and I'm not thinking about them at all. So, I'm able to enjoy this moment with you totally guilt free. And then when I go home tonight, I'm not gonna be thinking about you or your listeners or mm-hmm. any part of this podcast. I'm gonna be playing with my kids and we be wrestling. We're probably gonna go to the playground. I'm going to be totally present with them. And so it's just a matter of choosing to intentionally shift your focus from always looking in the rearview mirror of where you're not to looking through the front windshield of where you are. And then you give people an incredible gift. You give them your presence. And in our overconnected culture, that is an unbelievable gift to give someone your undivided attention, but it also allows you to shake that guilt. You can also do that, by the way, with your to-do list. You know, I think a lot of people do this. They have a to-do list of 75 things. They do 73. And they focus on the two they didn't do.
1: On the two they missed.
2: That's right. And so instead, focus on what you did do. Focus on where you are. Focus on what you have accomplished and be proud of that. And that'll help you shake the guilt and actually be present in the moment that you're in.
1: Well, this has been an incredible moment. Christy, thank you. Please tell us about your podcast, your books, and uh, what's next for you and where people can find you.
2: Yeah, thanks so much. Obviously,
1: motherhood is next for you.
2: (laughs) It's going to be a crazy fall. I'm so excited. But um, businessboutique.com is the best place. We've got... A podcast we've got the book we've got courses we've got um devo coming out in the spring so just fun stuff and helping women start businesses but the devo is really for anyone and so it's just fun to see how again the seasons the seasons change so i'm gonna be a mom to a newborn this fall and then i'll be back at it um in january so i just um any any way that i can help i just am such a fan of you Carrie. i love what you do i love that we have the same friends and so i'm so glad to be here so mm-hmm. yeah any way i can help in the future i'm happy to
1: Well, it's so mutual. I learned a lot, Christy. We'll link to everything in the show notes. And uh, this won't be the last time if you're willing. So thank you so much for being on the show. I would love to. Thanks, Gary. Well, that was a great interview. That one is up on YouTube along with a select boutique of some of our interviews. You can find my YouTube channel in the show notes uh, or just go to YouTube and search my name and you'll find it there. And uh, all the show notes, you can find quotes and shareables and details and transcripts and so much more at carrynewhoff.com forward slash episode 285. That's episode 285. And you'll find it right there. Uh, If you haven't checked out what we're doing online, there's a lot going on right now. You can find it all at carrynewhoff.com, Or if you can't spell that, go to leadlikeneverbefore.com. You'll find it all there, including some really cool stuff for a giveaway, that's happening on my social channels, which you can access through my website. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So we're doing a fun giveaway for the fifth anniversary of this podcast. There, also remember the Art of Better Preaching price goes up real soon, so head on over to theartofbetterpreaching.com and check that out. And if you're looking for uh, custom graphic support, do what Tim did and. Uh, Take a load off your mind and actually advance your game socially. Go to promediafire.com forward slash carry and then become one of the many churches and faith-based organizations saving in healthcare. Go to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry. Thanks to our partners who make sure that you get this for free. And I've been excited about this interview for a while, but next time on the podcast, I'm back with John Townsend and yeah, he's written some incredible books and we talk all about people. And that's coming up next Tuesday when we drop a fresh episode. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for your ratings and reviews. Nine million downloads. Yeah, 10 were coming for you. Uh, This is incredible. For a guy who still works out of his basement, I just want to thank you so much. And I hope that you've now got, you know, a library of over 300 interviews that you can use for you and your team. And we continue to want to bring you the very best conversations. I'm doing a lot of flying this fall doing a lot more in-person interviews and investing a little more in the podcast so we can bring you the very best. Thanks so much, guys. We will catch you next time with John Townsend. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.